the story that I'm making up about this podcast is <laughs> it was great. Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today is our March Buddy Read episode where we're discussing Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. We have a few announcements before we get into our discussion today. First, thank you for your well wishes. Curtis is recovering really well from surgery, aren't you? (laughs) I'd say, yeah. (laughs) Well, now that surgery is out of the way, we have other big life things to tackle, including moving across the country. So, in April, we're only releasing two episodes that will include our buddy read, The Trial of Lizzie Borden, and then we'll be on hiatus through the end of May. So, we'll still release Patreon content for April and May, which includes our monthly bonus episodes and newsletters. Um, And actually, we have to record our March buddy read, or no, not buddy read, (laughs) that's what this is. We have to record our March reading wrap-up for Patreon, and I think that's going to be a really, really good one. I read some good ones, too. (laughs) Anyway, so Patreon stuff will still go up. So in the meantime, you can go to patreon.com slash hereadshereed, and you can sign up for bonus content there. Um, Also, you can feel free to catch up on our backlog, and please take the time to write us a review on iTunes. We'll be back for more buddy reads and book talk before you know it. But now let's just get into Dare to Lead. So I'm going to kick it off with a little background on the author, Brene Brown. She's a research professor in the Graduate College of Social Work at the University of Houston, has a PhD, and she spent two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. And she likes to say in a lot of her talks that she's a storyteller as well as a researcher. She's written five number one New York Times bestselling books, uh, The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, Braving the Wilderness, and then we read Dare to Lead, which is the culmination of a seven-year study on courage and leadership. And a bottom line from her website that I pulled is that she believes you have to walk through vulnerability to get to courage and therefore embrace the suck. I try to be grateful every day, and my motto right now is courage over comfort. I do not believe that cussing and praying are mutually exclusive, and I absolutely believe that the passing lane is for passing only. So some of the key concepts in her work that are in Dare to Lead, but you can easily pull out from any of her other books or even just you can probably glean it if you watch her TED Talk or follow her on social media. Key concepts include vulnerability, which is the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure, or all of the above. Wholeheartedness, which is engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness, cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what I get done today or how well it goes, I'm enough, I'm imperfect, and I'm afraid sometimes, but that's okay, I'm brave and worthy of love and belonging, and shame, which is the emotion of not feeling good enough. I'm not good enough, I can't do it. Okay, so all of those concepts are part of her research, and she took those concepts and sought out leaders, so they did interviews with leaders, and gathered more research and figured out how these concepts apply to leadership. So part of the book is her talking about her own experiences as a leader. There are excerpts from leaders writing to her talking about how they applied the concepts, and then there's just plain research from what they've gathered. So it starts off 
where she's coming at it from like an academic perspective of like researching vulnerability and empathy. And then now that she has her own business, she's actually living the experiences of a lot of the concepts she's talking about where, you know, she has to combat the armoring up that she mentions and being vulnerable with her own employees and her own organizations. Cause now that she has like a consulting business, they go around the country and talk to like groups of people and organizations and management to try to get them to solve these concepts. Like in the book, she talks about going to Fort Bragg, talking to a lot of air force people at one of their bases. So she takes what concept she has with her business and takes it on the road. And then, so she's embraced it kind of from both sides from the academic research side and then actually living as a CEO and applying these concepts to her own business. Mm -hmm. All right. You typed up here, your favorite quote. I'm not surprised by this. So I'm a quote person. Like, you remember on Facebook <laughs> when they used to have, like, you could list all of your favorite quotes? About, uh -huh. like, yeah. They don't have that anymore, by the way. They, like, erased all that stuff. But mine was, like, really long. Like, I would... I don't know if it's because we've mentioned, like, um, we're both kind of wordsmith people and we're readers. So I don't know if that means you're attracted to certain quotations. But um, do you have a favorite quote that's kind of touched you or affected you? Like in general? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a few, but none that I could just whip out. Okay. I, I like to write things down. I like to write quotes and then look back at them, but I don't necessarily have like one that I keep in my brain at all times. Well, I have a similar relationship with the Theodore Roosevelt quote that Brene Brown uses all the time. Mm -hmm. It was the back when Facebook had these things. It was the first quote that would be in my little section. Um, so the story with Brene Brown and this Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena section, which has been like the start of her business is named after it. Two of her books are named after it. And she talks about it a lot in Dare to Lead. Um, she was binging Downton Abbey like after she, As you do. after she got big in 2010 uh, and was kind of all over the news with her TED Talks and research. And she was not like her manager and her husband were like don't read any of the comments on your stuff and then she's the type of person who I, th I think she would have touched the stove if she was a kid because <laughs> she went straight to the comments and just got really affected by it and so she's watching Downton Abbey to kind of feel better and then she was like I wonder who the president is during this time so she looks it up and it's Theodore Roosevelt and the quote that pops up is a popular one from a speech he gave in France in 1910 and the passage is referred to as the man in the arena and it's popular in military circles and other leadership places um, because it talks about the fact that it's not people who are on the outside and the outskirts that are trying to affect how you are. It's the people who are in the arena, like the doer of deeds. And those are the people who deserve the credit because they're the ones that are actually putting themselves on the line. Do you want me to read the whole thing? Go ahead. I, I, you know what? I, Take your moment to shine. I love it so much. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the ends of the triumph of a high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So usually they're involved in organizations that have like courage, skill, tenacity, 
those are people that are known as like men in the arena type of stuff. So it's popular, like I said, in military areas because, you know, it's one of those where you don't really know what it means unless you're actually in the circle. You know what I mean? You know, because you're, you're in the arena too. The military arena? Yeah, you're in there too. Yeah, in a way. In my own way. Yeah, you're, but you're kind of on the outskirts of mm-hmm. some of it, but in the, on the inside on some of it too. So... Like, I have a really strong relationship with this quote, and I have since I heard it, and Brene Brown has too, because two of her books are named after it, she named her company after it, and the parts of it that I really attach myself to are when you're spending yourself in a worthy cause, like doing things that are have a greater effect, but it's also about when you put yourself out there, whose opinion you hold and like value so one of her big components and in this book and in some of her other stuff is if you're not in the arena i don't care what your feedback is on what Mm -hmm. i'm doing unless you're in the arena with me well and i like how she takes the speech and makes it apply so i get where you're coming from from like well if the military is the arena you only understand it if you're sort of in the arena doing it and we don't want to listen to people who are outside of that I get that, but I think she applies it as more of everyone is in the arena and the arena is just life in general and that no matter what you're doing, no matter what your profession is, you are vulnerable when you're putting yourself out there in anything. It could even just be in a relationship Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever day-to-day life stuff. And I like the way that she applies it to that so that it's really accessible for everyone. And that was one of the things I really liked about this book was her definition for leadership was, let me get the exact phrasing right. Uh, She defines a leader as anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and who has the courage to develop that potential. So anyone can be a leader. You're a leader if you are a parent, you're a leader if you're in charge of organizing your weekly book club, You're a leader if you are a CEO or a principal or a teacher or if you are teaching Sunday school or, I mean, it goes on and on with that definition. I like that any of these concepts in this book can truly be applied to leadership in any context and that anyone has the potential to be a leader in some way. Yeah. And I really like that practical application. It's really about stepping up. Like if you're willing to... She talks about it a lot like it's actually a fight. Like one of her big concepts is rumbling, where it's this connotation of you're rolling around. In a, you're going to get beat up a little bit. Yeah. It might hurt a little bit, but you get back up. Like one of her talks she I was watching this morning was if you're in the arena doing things, you're going to get hit in the face all the time. Mm-hmm. And you just have to be willing to accept that. So as long as you're like willing to step up and be vulnerable in that sense you can embrace these concepts and be a leader. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and I, I actually thought a lot of these concepts, even though they were applied in the context of leadership in the book, I think they're just useful for life stuff. So a couple of the quotes that I really liked, um, I liked, to feel is to be vulnerable. Believing that vulnerability is a weakness is believing that feeling is weakness. We are feeling machines that think. I really liked that because I'm a feeling stuffer. I also really liked leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective or unproductive behavior. 
And I felt like I really connected with that quote as a teacher who has experience in classroom management. That just really clicked for me and I've seen that in applications. So I really liked that concept. Um, You've probably seen that too. Oh yeah. Like it's whenever you're managing a large group of people, you're going to spend the majority of your time dealing with a small number of people and trying to correct their behavioral problems. But if you do more legwork on the front end of trying to figure out what the actual issue is Mm -hmm. and what they're feeling, what they're thinking, rather than just trying to correct the behavior of like with punishment or whatever, right? then you can actually solve the problem and focus on actually leading your organization. Yeah. And building the relationship and building the trust so that if they have a problem, they can come to you about it before that behavior exhibits itself. (laughs) Um, So when I put this favorite quote section in, mm -hmm. you put it as like your favorite stuff from the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was saying, like, I wanted it to be, like, overarching, like, life stuff. Because, it didn't get that at all. Because I wanted to talk about, like, how she just is a little Roosevelt obsessed. <laughs> she is, but I think that's probably why you clicked right away, because she brings that up first thing in the book, and I think that was probably part of why you were like, oh, I'm gonna like this lady. <laughs> well, I think, like, one of the other concepts she has when she's, like, going over this whole concept of being in the arena is she calls the people that are outside the arena and like little chirping stuff Mm -hmm. from their feedback she calls those guys the cheap seats Mm -hmm. so you kind of have to you leave space for that because you know it's going to be part of your existence but it's you need to just avoid their feedback because it's not going to have the desired impact that you want on Mm -hmm. your your life so I, i resonated with that because people that aren't actually being who, vulnerable and yeah, getting or don't in your, know you exactly or who aren't getting in the arena you don't need to care what they think is basically what it boils down to because if you're not willing to get hit in the face repeatedly like you're not on the same level that yeah. i am they're so. like a bird outside your window who keeps cheeping on your podcast but you don't care what the bird's saying you just you know care what your co-host is saying right <laughs> <laughs> that applies <laughs> Are you looking for other favorite quotes? Well, I have all these tabs that I left in here, which was kind of fun because normally you read the buddy read first and then I kind of go through and look at your stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is the, I read it first and you got to see my tabs and my highlights. What was that experience like for you? I liked it. Just because you got to see what I thought was important. Yeah. And I think I was kind of anticipating you taking a little bit more of the lead on this one just because you've read so many books on leadership before you're anticipating taking a major leadership role soon. So mm-hmm. just because of that. Um, okay, so should we move on to general thoughts about the book? Sure. Um, what did you like or dislike or what were some of your favorite aspects? I liked that we read this book because I felt like she summarized a lot of the concepts in her previous work and kind of got us on the same playing field. So with somebody like this who's constantly researching and updating It's good to read the most current version because they're going to be updating as they've learned new concepts. So like she put in stuff from Daring Greatly and some Braving the Wilderness. So I liked that that was included. So I didn't feel like I missed out on all those concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other parts that I liked is she clearly had sections about what she was focusing on. But the majority of the book was all about vulnerability which is like has been the focus of this last seven years of her academic research. So I, I like that as a concept because when you're talking about perfectionism and things like that, that's stuff that I really connect with um, as like a 
Enneagram three person who always wants to get recognition and be a performer and achiever. Yeah. Yeah. So this constant pressure to be perfect to wherever it comes from, she does a good job of combating that and being like, Hey, these are the myths about perfectionism. You have to be comfortable with being imperfect in order to be effective as a leader and as a manager. So I could, I connected with those sections a lot just because of how I am in my daily life. I liked how she focused and had a different like methodology for it where you can have the perfectionism side where it's destructive and ultimately not the behavior you want mm -hmm. versus healthy striving for actually being successful and finding goals and doing all that stuff. So there's healthy balances for everything. And she does a good job of talking about myths and realities with a lot of that stuff. So mm -hmm. um, another thing that I really liked is she talks about the key component with daring leadership is it's different from armored leadership is what she talks about. So armored leadership is basically putting on your walls or things that you're trying to protect yourself. And really being daring is about having the courage to go out and be uncomfortable, have conversations that you normally wouldn't have in order to better serve the people that you're leading. Mm -hmm. So I love that part of it where there's a section where it's a Air Force general who is talking about, I think it was talking about suicide in the Air Force, which is a rampant problem in the entire military. And mm -hmm. she's talking with a large group of her airmen. And they're saying, like, you know, really, I'm just lonely. Well, they were saying, I'm exhausted. Right. And then and she had to dig deeper. Because when you hear exhausted, you're just like, okay, what's our tempo? Like, mm -hmm. are we going to the field? Are we doing all these things? And really, the concept that they uncovered after she had the courage to have an uncomfortable conversation is a lot of people are feeling lonely. And being comfortable with talking about feelings versus trying to solve a problem of being like, oh, we're just overworking a pool of people and we need to do something to better manage that time. Really, you just need to tell them how to better manage their feelings and how to be comfortable with expressing emotion and stuff like that. Or how in your organization you can address those feelings by developing more connections or being better in the organization to address those needs that people have. Yeah. And I think especially in this culture of there are really blurred lines between career and the rest of your life. And I like how she addressed that where you have one value system and it applies whether you're at work or you're at home. And you might need to compartmentalize some things, but you don't need to compartmentalize who you are as a person in order to be a good leader. Yeah. I like the focus that she had on the vulnerability aspect because that had the most sections and took up the most pages mm -hmm. because I feel like it's the hardest concept that we have to deal with. Sure. Like the second half of the book is all about living into your values Braving trust and then learning to rise are the final three parts. But the first part is the rumbling with vulnerability that takes the longest part to address. And I think that that was a component that came out of the research where people just have a difficulty with talking about vulnerability and being courageous and having uncomfortable conversations. So I liked that the majority of the book addressed that. I was the opposite. <laughs> and I, I think that's because I was familiar with her work going into this and I had already read Daring Greatly. Oh, okay. So, so a lot have... of the vulnerability stuff I connected with, I got that. I already knew her definitions for that. I was sort of, I think I moved through that a little bit faster because I was already familiar with that. And so towards maybe like 
not the middle, but as, as I was approaching the middle of the book, I was like, okay, I can skim some of this and I'd like this to move along. And so then the, I liked the second half or this, maybe the last third of the book even, even better because I felt like it was more practical application and stuff that I could see myself using. So I really liked when she was talking about empathy and the steps for building empathy. I really liked that because, and she talks about practicing vulnerability too, but all of these things we think about, like wholeheartedness and vulnerability and empathy and disrupting shame, those are not things that humans naturally do. No, because our normal defense mechanisms are to armor up. Exactly. As she says it. And so it's not like we can say, oh, well, that person's really good at being vulnerable. They're just good at that. That's a strength that they have. They've probably built that strength. It's something that you have to build over time. And she gives example after example of herself failing at the very concepts that she preaches and how she overcame that. And I think that's so helpful to see that all of these things that she's talking about are muscles to be worked. You can learn to be more empathetic and be a better listener. You can learn to be more vulnerable and set boundaries. These are all things that you can learn. And so I really, really liked that. And I liked maybe the last third of the book is where I felt like she was giving the most practical applications for it. I liked a lot of the talk about boundaries because I feel Mm -hmm. like that's important, especially from her side where she's a creative person and has an organization and is trying to help people. And And has a family that she cares a lot about. And a husband of 25 years and all that. So it's important when you're a striver and a creative person to set boundaries for yourself. And I like the little personal anecdotes where she's just saying she's not good at estimating time. Yeah. And like everybody in her life is like, Brene, that's not accurate. Like she's like, oh, we can do all this, this, and this. Yeah. And the people around her are like, no, that's not accurate of <laughs> like estimating time. Where, where she was like, maybe something's just broken in my brain. And she was expecting people to say, no, it's something you can work on. And everyone was like, yeah, maybe that part of your brain's just missing. <laughs> <laughs> like when she's trying to have her husband go and put, put new stuff on the front lawn two uh-huh. hours before somebody's coming over <laughs> for a party. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, the section that I found the most valuable and that I can see myself going back to, actually, I might do that like in the next couple of weeks was the name your values section. So when she's talking about living into your values and has the list of all of them. Yes. I loved that. And I felt like it was something that I was like, even if I'm not in a leadership position right now, No matter where I am in my life, I feel like this is super valuable for everyone to know. And this is something I want to think about and do. So it was the name your values section. So she actually gives a list of possible values. And then she gives you almost like a workbook-like format to decide what your values are, narrow it down to two, and then some questions to examine Like, what are the things that I do when I'm living into my values? What are the things that I do when I'm going against my values? How do I feel? Who are the people that can tell me when I'm living in my values? And things like that. And I just found those practical application steps the most helpful thing of the whole entire book. Um, Do you have the list of values handy? Oh, it's way too long. Um... Oh, I wasn't going to go through all of them. I was wondering if you went through and decided any of yours or looked at that at all no i thought i would do that as a secondary look at this like after we did our discussion being like yeah going back later and looking at it and it's something that i wanted to do with people 
when I'm a commander and mm-hmm. just with people that I'm reading and stuff like that, just to be like, Hey, these are the things that are important to you. Do a little self analysis and try to figure that out. Yeah. Um, I, there's gotta be like 50 of them on this thing. Oh, more than that. I would say. And then the way that she chose them was really cool. Like she took 10,000 people through this, got them down to two for your core values and then talk about behaviors and things that you can do to reinforce mm-hmm. those values, which I thought was really interesting. I, so I went through the list and I put little dots by maybe five of them. Yeah, just kind of whittle it down. Yeah, well, I just, so I liked what she said. Can you go back to that page? Choose one or two values, the beliefs that are most important and dear to you, that help you find your way in the dark, that fill you with a feeling of purpose. Resist holding on to words that resemble something you've been coached to be, or those are words that never felt true for you. Choose the words that you feel are truly your words. And so I just sort of skimmed the list and then if a word sort of sparked like a little excitement in me or I had a gut feeling about it then I put a little dot by it so I put a dot by growth learning making a difference simplicity and wisdom and so from there I might go through the list and see if there are any more that I want to put a dot by but from there the goal is to narrow it down to two so I actually thought that was something that we could revisit together it seems like a really cool thing to sort of do as a family because she talks about having your own values as a person but then having your list of values as an organization and I think that's something that people can do as a family and say these are the three things that we're going to uphold as a family and being able to narrow that down would make decision making so much easier would make disciplining children so much easier because you can refer back to these are the things that we uphold and the things that we value. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that that section of the book is worth the price of the hardcover alone for me. I just found that the most helpful. Even after the first run through, we'll go back and look at it and look at the behavioral stuff about how we can reinforce those behaviors. And she gives, so even beyond that, I felt like that was the section where she gave more like fill in the blank stuff. Here are some things to work on. Here are some activities to do as a group. And those were the things that I really wrote down and flagged as like, I want to come back to this. I want to do this. Like, as a couple, um, I want to do this as, like, a teacher someday. Like, there are just things that I would definitely like to revisit. So, yeah, I I get, I think I can understand why you like the first half. I think because I was familiar with it, I just loved the practical application that was found in maybe the second half or last third of the book. Well, I liked all the tools that she gave for, mm-hmm. like, interacting with people or teams and all that stuff. Like, I like the... Um, the story that I'm making up in my head is this because instead of like projecting onto people and starting fights and just being like, I feel like this and responding from a hurt thing that hasn't mm-hmm. really been said about you, you can just be like, Hey, the story that I'm making up in my head is this and you feel this. And it all came from her husband being like, Oh, there's no ham in the fridge. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good story. People should read it. <laughs> but and I think that's. A wise thing even just as a married couple to do of like there have been times where we've had to do that where it's like well I feel this way this is how you know kind of explaining like how it felt to you versus what the other person's intentions were because mm-hmm. intentions don't really matter all that much in the scheme of things it's how someone's impacted and then you have to unpack that after the fact right so I mean it's just a valuable tip I think even just 
in a marriage or in a relationship in general. Mm -hmm. Like one of the other communication tools I really liked was, okay, paint done for me. Mm -hmm. So when you're giving a task to a subordinate, a lot of stuff can kind of get lost in translation when you're like, I want this to happen, this, this, and this, because you don't have time to break down everything exactly how it's supposed to be done. But as a subordinate who's looking for more guidance, you can be like, okay, paint done for me, which is basically a way of saying, you're giving me this assignment. What is being complete with this look like to you? Mm -hmm. So those were all verbiage and tools and techniques that I'm going to take and be like, okay, this is what painting done looks like for this task that I'm giving you. If you have questions, come back and ask me about it because you don't want stuff to get lost in translation. This might be a tougher question. Which concept from the book do you feel like was maybe the toughest for you to swallow or was the thing that you were like, oh, this is the thing I have to work on the most? I think it's really the concept of having the courage to be daring and having the conversations that you don't really want to talk about. And then the other part of it that kind of got too close to home and was a little bit too real for me was when she's talking about the armored versus daring leadership concepts when she's talking about when you're leading from hurt so you can't fill a self-worth gap by leading and using power over people because that's not exactly what we need so you're talking about somebody that leads from a place of smallness and not leading with their whole heart and just being like having a position of power and being over people in order to try to fill a self-worth deficiency so A big thing that she talks about is like, hey, this is coping mechanisms and techniques that people have for living a certain way and how to be courageous and get around that is to do this and be daring. So like when you're looking at a lot of that armored stuff, it's a human nature response. I'm used to having my armor and my guard up on a lot of things. So a lot of that was felt like she was calling me out on some stuff. Mm -hmm. So like I've been in that position where I've been hurt and not in a really good place mentally and thought that being a leader when being in a position was going to give me that self-worth that I needed and it wasn't right. So having the self-awareness was another concept that she talks about where you need to have the right sense of self to know and connect with other people. So you can't have empathy for somebody else if you're not in a position of wholeheartedness because then you're not in a healthy leadership position. Mm -hmm. So I liked all of those tools and ways to look at things where first things first, you got to get your ship right you gotta live with a whole heart and be ready to serve other people and then you can't have these mechanisms where you're putting barriers between yourself and your subordinates Mm -hmm. so you need to be in a position where you're courageous enough to make the right decisions and talk about the tough concepts and stuff like that i think part of why i really connected with this book and i'll get back to the question at hand and share what hit close to home for me too but I think part of what really succeeded for me with this book was it was an example of very introspected, introverted leadership Mm -hmm. or introspective, sorry. So we get so many books about leadership and how you need to be bold and how you need to just go for it. And that doesn't suit me as an introvert. Um, It you know, in some ways I connect with that stuff as an achiever, but the way that I go about leadership is so different as an introvert compared to an extrovert. And I feel like introversion was really celebrated in this book, even though she only mentioned it as something she, like she's an introvert. It was never mentioned in the book, 
but the fact that self-reflection and meditation is so emphasized and being in tune with yourself and your feelings before you go out into the world and listening, a lot of these skills are introverted skills that get so overlooked because introverts are overlooked. And I guess that's part of why I really, really connected with the concepts of the book and I really liked it. Um, If people haven't read Quiet by Susan Cain, um, that book is about introversion. Um, I think this book is a really good companion to that and shows examples of how leadership doesn't have to be who's the loudest, who's the boldest. Um, Sometimes the best leaders are actually just the best listeners and guides and that even if you're extroverted, those quiet moments of self-reflection are so important. And I really liked that. So anyway, as you were talking, that was what came up. So the concept for me that I think struck the closest to home or the thing that sort of was like oof to me, a lot of the examples of poor leadership in the book I've experienced as, as you say, subordinate. So I spent the last few years in an extremely toxic environment and I don't think I even realized how toxic it was until I was out of it. And I realized even more when I was reading this book of, oh, all of the things that could be wrong with leadership, I have seen. And so I think part of the tough part of that was like seeing, oh, this is how that toxicity filtered into my classroom and my leadership. Because of course it goes from top down Mm -hmm. and filters down into that. Fortunately, I can recognize a time where for the first couple of years I can see where it really affected me. And then when I gained the self-confidence And when I really gained a better sense of self for the last two years, I was able to really shed a lot of that and live into the better leadership concepts that she talks about. Mm -hmm. So I can say like I've seen these things in practice and it absolutely stands true, but it was kind of hard to see like, oh, like that toxic leadership filtered down to me to the point where I was exhibiting signs of that too. You put down pacing as a topic so how well, we've you talked feel? about that in some of our other buddy reads mm-hmm. um and you kind of addressed that you kind of skimmed through the first half to two-thirds just because it was concepts that you've kind of been through before for me because it was new i felt like she did a good job of kind of catching the reader up if you haven't read the other books and then kind of got you familiar with the language and then delve deeper into the concepts that this book is addressing. So I I liked the pace. I felt like it was a little one-sided in the fact that the majority is spent on vulnerability, but again, the book is about that for Mm -hmm. the most part. And then on the back half, kind of just giving you tools to put that into practice. So living into your values, building trust within your organization, that type of stuff. Um, Incidentally, I didn't talk about it, but I liked how she uses this marble in a jar analogy for trust, where you're building it up like every time you do something that's courageous or investing in your people and taking care of your team, that puts a marble in your jar. And it does a, like you can lose the whole jar if you break that trust and then you got to build it back up. Or you could have it from the side of, you can't just one day show up and decide, okay, we're going to have trust in our organization. You're Mm -hmm. going to trust me. I'm going to trust you. It's something that's built over time with the small things. So that's something that is kind of resonated with me in the military because there's such a lot of turnover and change that happens and you want to build trust quickly, but it's not something that just happens automatically. Mm -hmm. It's something that has to happen 
deliberately. And if you want to have a trusting organization, it's something that you have to invest time in and put time in with your team in order to develop that trust. Mm -hmm. So, So, okay, a lot of the concepts that she talks about and a lot of the practical tips are things that you can implement in meetings. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what that would look like in army world Uh, honestly like i tabbed one of these sections for when it has like the meeting notes so and i pulled right to it look at that so it's the key learnings when you're talking about stuff so it's got the date the meeting intention the attendees key decisions task and ownership Mm -hmm. so that is something that i want to implement because we do like a weekly training event or meeting where we lay out the concepts for like a six-week plan for hey, these are our goals within the next six weeks. In order to get there, we have to do this, this, and this, and assign tasks. So using that type of a minutes where she talks about, like assigning tasks, ownership, and doing all that type of stuff, and then incorporating things we've already talked about, like, okay, paint done for me. What is this going to look like? That's something that I will try to integrate as a commander being like, okay, I have my two platoons. I got my platoon leaders and their NCOs. This is my expectations for the next six weeks. I'm going to paint done for you about how this is supposed to go. And we're going to keep track of tasks and ownership being like, okay, you're going to do this. You've got this and put deadlines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and building in that room for open space for questions. And okay. So I guess I was just, yeah, I was curious as to how that would look. Cause like I had an idea in my head of how things like this would look in the classroom as a teacher but that's obviously completely different from meetings as a CEO or meetings as an army leader. So I was just curious what that would look like. Did you see that more in a classroom sense or in like a department meeting? Because I know that every time you would talk about your department meetings, they were always crazy. Well, it's always different when you are talking leadership with the adults versus leadership with the kids, I think. Mm-hmm. I guess most of the concepts I just thought about as a teacher leader of like being the leader in the classroom the good part about Brené brown and the way that she approaches these concepts is she kind of meets you where you're at Mm -hmm. so a lot of these things can be applied to me in a military setting you in a classroom setting or just us as a family right and as a couple or Mm -hmm. talking about stuff so she's got a lot of overarching concepts that can get specific with the tools but broad strokes these are things that'll help you in your day-to-day existence yeah that's what i liked about her and her writing is it felt very down to earth like she's you know she's got a phd she's a lot of these things but really she's a storyteller from texas that has kids and family so she's just trying to make it simple not like not simple but embraceable by a large group of people yeah which is what i liked about her writing style She's got a good sense of humor. I like that she includes personal stories. Mm-hmm. And she just fe- it, she feels like someone you could just talk with over coffee very easily about all this stuff. Or a beer. Yeah. Pro- yeah, probably that too. <laughs> um, I am curious. I've never listened to any of her books via audio, but I think she reads most of them. And obviously she's a good speaker. She does that all the time. So... Maybe the next book of hers that I pick up, I'll do audiobook. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would go back through the backlog now that we uh, I've read the most current one, because I kind of feel like if I've seen the TED Talks and read this book, I wouldn't go back and like read Braving the Wilderness. Or... Yeah, I don't feel the need to either. I think 
yeah, I don't know. Someone would have to come out with a really strong argument for me to go back and read her other stuff. I feel like she just does a good enough job of going over the highlights in this book and then addressing a lot of those concepts in some of her TED Talks Mm -hmm. that now that we read this book, I'm kind of just would read the next one is is how I feel. What was, what did she say that they're working on studying right now? The, or no, emotional literacy. Oh, So like you need to be able to name 30 emotions or something like that. Like what emotional literacy is and what that looks like. So obviously if she comes out with a book about that, I'll read about that oh for sure like any new research that she comes out with but i do think this book was a good culmination of what she's already come out with Mm -hmm. i noted a section that i'm gonna print out and make copies of to discuss with my lieutenants when i am a captain and have lieutenants Mm -hmm. but it's that section that i talked about where you have a group that says that they're exhausted but then having the emotional literacy to be like, okay, these are the emotions that I'm feeling mm-hmm. instead of like a physical response. Yeah, I did. That was another concept or thing throughout the book that I really liked was she talks about using specific language. Yes. And that words really, really matter. So when you're defining things and you're being specific about the words that you choose to describe an emotion or to talk with people, that language is really important and that wording matters a lot and Mm -hmm. i really liked that i guess maybe as an english teacher that (laughs) resonated with me well i think that that's the difficult part when we're talking about the living into your values section is the specificity with because there's so many of them and trying to really hard to narrow it down to the two Mm -hmm. so being specific with things that make how like those concepts make you feel and things that you connect with just being really intentional and thought-provoking about that so I i think i'll take a little bit of time and then revisit those values and try to find the ones that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, I'm really excited to go over that section and then talk about that together and maybe go through some of those like workbook-like things that she has. I think those will be really valuable to us. And she does a lot of the workbook stuff on her website too. Mm-hmm. So if you've read the book and read along with us, thank you. But you can also go on and I think BreneBrown.com and she's got some workbooks that go along with this book. I think that's all I have to say about it. I do too. I I really liked it. I did too. Um, I think originally I was a little skeptical because I thought she was just a researcher, which has its merits, but I kind of am more drawn to like doers. I know. I think that's so funny because I'm like, I guess coming from like an academic world, I think researchers are doers. I'm like, oh my goodness, they're a researcher. Like they're amazing. And then your military world is so different it's like such i don't know that like physical action i guess it's more about just actually employing leadership concepts and being a leader versus like learning about leadership from the academic research side yeah but i did like all the components of when she's talking about you know writing her book and doing her speeches and then running her own organization and team yeah, there's like an obvious reason why this book didn't come out before she was a CEO. Right. Like she had to have that leadership experience first to realize like, oh, this is how these concepts could be applied. Let's research it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if anybody else was kind of turned off to like the just the pure academic side, I would encourage you just to read Brene Brown. She's got mm-hmm. a good voice, good style, way of approaching things. Yeah, it's not stuffy at all. No, I liked it all. And if you think that you're not a leader, guess what? You actually are. And all of these things are super applicable to daily life, not just work life, which is what I think I liked the most. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Let's move on to recommendations of the week. So I've been obsessed with Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which is on Netflix. It's a Jerry Seinfeld web series that got picked up by Netflix. Essentially, he has a lot of these old cars that are, some of them are his from his collection or ones that he has borrowed. And he matches that with a comedian and just has like a 20 minute discussion driving in the car and going to these cool diners and getting coffee and breakfast food and stuff like that. So they're short, which is something that I like in my TV now because we've been catching up on Game of Thrones and watching a lot of the, these long dramatic shows. So we, I needed a little bit of a shorter, funny release. So I found that with this show. It was a good surgery recovery show. Yeah. I burned through probably the first three seasons kind of bouncing around because you can go through and be like, oh, I like that comedian. I want to see what they talked about and that sort of stuff. So I've been going through the full gambit. Mm-hmm. The funny part is uh, Jim Carrey was the first on the Netflix version. I don't know if he was the first actual episode overall, but he didn't drink coffee. He just had tea. I can relate. <laughs> What's your recommendation this week? My recommendation is Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is a documentary about Mr. Rogers. We watched that. Yeah, we just did. <laughs> uh, was that Thursday, maybe? Was his birthday. Yeah, we watched it on his birthday. Um, And so since we are currently paying for the HBO subscription to watch Game of Thrones. It is on HBO, so if you already have that, that's how you can watch it, or you can rent it, I think, on Amazon. It was delightful. Um, I definitely cried. (laughs) But the sense of nostalgia is really beautiful. If you watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up, you'll definitely get all of the nostalgic feels. And it was just a really good documentary. I Mm -hmm. mean, it was generally... If you need a break from like the true crime documentaries, which I feel like is all that's coming out right now is like documentaries about horrible people. If you need a break from all of that and you need an uplifting documentary, this is a really good one. Some of the comments we like as we were watching, we were like, no wonder we love this show so much. Like it's a show made for introverts, (laughs) (laughs) for introverted, sensitive kids. Yeah, for figuring out like imagination has its own little area and then you go back to mr rogers and he's going to give you the life lesson and you know what i think he and Brene brown would be besties <laughs> yeah like a lot of the concepts about vulnerability and being okay with feeling your feelings like that's do all you, mr rogers do you know what assassination means <laughs> okay that sounds just really creepy when you choose that line to say it as daniel tiger <laughs> but that was the one where either like the day of jfk J- got assassinated rfk him. Oh, never mind. And then the lady's just like, well, you probably heard that on the news a lot today. <laughs> and just like not sugarcoating stuff for kids. Yeah. And like actually like letting them feel their feelings and not trying Navigate to shield them. Navigate the world. From, yeah. yeah. That's the part that I liked is they didn't sugarcoat stuff. They were like, this is reality. This is what's going on. Yeah. Anyway, it's really good. I recommend it. Also, Worth that was the a, hour and a half or whatever. That was a spot on tiger impression it was a great daniel tiger it was just like the creepiest possible line that you could have chosen (laughs) all right well that's our discussion on dare to lead by Brene brown thank you for subscribing and sharing he read she read if you haven't left us a review on itunes yet please do those written reviews make a huge difference in reaching listeners and they brighten our day reminder that our buddy read for april is the trial of lizzie borden by kara robertson and that episode will air april 23rd you can connect with us via social media or email, Twitter and Instagram at he read, she read, or you can email us he read, she read podcast at gmail.com. If you read along with us for Dare Lead and you have questions or want to talk about something, be sure to let us know. 
Thank you for listening, and remember, the couple that reads together. Dares to lead together? Well, that's cute. <laughs> Over cute. Nailed it. The story that I'm making up about this podcast is... <laughs> it was great.